0: Indeed, sound doctrine is very, very important. Chapter 2, verse 1, Paul tells Titus to speak those things which become sound words or sound doctrine. The word sound literally means healthy. The Word of God is healthy when it's rightly divided and the truth is proclaimed, it's, it's very, very healthy. And sometimes people, uh, they'll say, well, don't don't bother me with doctrine. Well, all scriptures give them inspiration of God and is profitable for the doctrine. How can you preach the Bible without preaching doctrine? It's, it's impossible, you see. Uh, in the book of 2 Kings this morning, we'd like to turn to verse 30, uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, and verse 38. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, Set on the great pot, and seeth pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered there of wild gourds, his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass, as they were eating of the pottage, that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. But he said, then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot. And he said, pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Now, this is just one of numerous miracles that's recorded that God worked by the hand of Elisha the prophet. Going before Elisha the prophet was Elijah the prophet. And God worked many miracles by his hand. We find in this case here that there are some people called the sons of the prophets that were sitting at the feet of Elijah, or Elisha. And this is the the setting we want to get before us here this morning of the sons of the prophets sitting before Elisha in a place called Gilgal. And Elisha here is going to teach us that we should put spiritual things before natural things. And we're going to see how that Elisha is going to have an antidote for that which was going to cause great harm to the people that were sitting before him, these sons of the prophets. Now, there's a lot of practical lessons involved in this. The place that they're at is a place called Gilgal. Gilgal was located between Jordan and Jericho. And this had been a place of many uh, lessons that Israel had learned and many memories that they'd had. When Israel crossed the Jordan River, we find where God instructed Joshua to take up 12 stones, one stone for every tribe, and to erect those stones on the other side of Jordan there, again, in Gilgal. And he said, this will be when your children pass by here and see these stones and may ask, what do these stones mean? That you will give them some history. You will tell them this is the place that God dried up the river Jordan and brought his people over dry shod. Just like he did when he opened up the Red Sea. He first mentions Jordan. Then he goes back and mentions the Red Sea. When God delivered the entire nation of the Jewish people. Out of Egyptian bondage and captivity. Across the Red Sea by his mighty power. He caused a strong east wind to blow upon the water. divide divided the water into two great walls of water. And they crossed to the other side. Not one was lost, not one was left behind, not one perished. Now that's a picture of what Christ has done for his people. Christ, the great deliverer. Now Moses delivered a nation, the nation of Israel, out of Egyptian bondage. But the Lord Jesus Christ delivered a people out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people upon the face of this earth. God's people are described this way several times in the book of Revelation. And the reason to describe this way is because before time ever began, God foreknew a people, chose a people, elected a people, named a people, and gave a people to his son in a covenant relationship. The Lord Jesus Christ came to lay down his life for those people. That's particular redemption. And he secured their salvation. Christ never made salvation a possibility. Jesus Christ secured salvation on behalf of the family that the Father gave him before time ever began. And not one will be left behind not one will perish not one uh you know will not make it because it's not based upon their works it's based upon the wonderful miraculous grace of god and then we find they journeyed in the wilderness and they came to the land of canaan and they crossed jordan and he wanted those stones to be placed on the other side so their children would see the stones ask the question they'd have an opportunity to give them this lesson of history but also it says at the end of that chapter that it be that all nations might know that the hand of the Lord was mighty. It took a mighty hand to open up the Red Sea, correct? It took a mighty hand to do that. We believe in a mighty God. We believe in an omnipotent God. And God opened up the Red Sea and brought his people across them. When he got to Jordan's River that was there at flood stage, once again it required a miracle of God for them to cross Jordan to go into the land of Canaan. And God did it. Now... So the children ask the question, and the parents give the answer. Then shortly after that, we find where Joshua gave the instructions that all the male children that were born in the wilderness who had not been circumcised were to be circumcised. All the men of war uh, died in the wilderness. Remember, the reason it was in the wilderness because he came back and gave an evil report about the giants in the land. And the... Uh, all they saw there that was obstacles to keep them out of going into the land of Canaan, and it caused God's people's heart to melt, and God judged them for that and gave them one year for every day they spied out the land, which was 40 days, that's 40 years, and so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. All the men of war, they perished in that wilderness during that 40-year period of time, but every male child that was born in the wilderness had not been circumcised, and so this was necessary to keep the covenant that God had made with Abraham. It was also, uh, 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 he said this to be done to roll away the reproach of Egypt. Now, God brought his entire people out of Egypt, but it took a long time to get Egypt out of his children. Now, we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. Now, uh, that means that we have this battle and this Uh, you know conflict on a regular and a daily basis to do that but we're in this world but we're not to be of the world there's a big deal of difference in that Jesus Christ was in this world but he was never of this world and so that's why we're warned so many times in the scriptures about the world in which we live in to not be conformed to this world to love not this world be not friends with this world so this was to roll away the reproach of Egypt and they did that took place in Gilgal now again that's between Jordan and between Jericho uh, of course, we know how that God blessed them to c- take Jericho and to occupy the land of Canaan. But this is the location. This is some of the experiences that Israel had, had in times past. Now, we find in this setting here where we have Elijah the, Elisha the prophet, and we have a group of men called the sons of the prophets. The sons of the prophets are sitting at the feet of the prophet Elisha. Elisha is the master teacher Elisha is teaching them the things of God. Now, you know, in Acts chapter 22, the apostle Paul gives his experience, and he spoke about him being a Jew, being in the city of, of Tarsus, and he said he grew up at the feet of Gamal. Gamal was a very famous pharisaical teacher in that particular day, and Paul was taught by the very best. The most well-known teacher was, again, Gamal. Where was he at? He was at the feet of Gamaliel. That's the learning position. We find this is a position that Mary took. When you study Mary's life, you know, her sister was Martha, her brother was Lazarus. She's always at the feet of Jesus. And that's really what you're doing here this morning. You're sitting at the feet of the teachings of the Lord, which is like sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha was so busy that she missed an opportunity to do what Mary was doing and irritated and agitated about it but the Lord rebuked her. He said, Martha, Martha, thou art coming about with much serving, but Mary had chosen a good party. It shall not be taken from her. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Here we find the prophets, the sons of the prophet, sitting at the feet of Elisha. Now, we find Elisha is putting first things first here. I want you to notice this. It's because we're told there was a famine in the land. There's a famine. Now, there's a lot of, famous famines taught in the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, a famine came into the land after Abraham had left the land of the earth of the Chaldees and went down to the land of Canaan where God instructed him to go. And a famine came into the land, and what did Abraham do? Abraham left the land of Canaan and went down to Egypt. Had not been for the overruling providence of God, his wife Sarah would have been defiled down there and required God to rescue him. Everything doesn't always go smooth. Everything is not always a, a mountaintop experience. There are times we may experience a famine, and it's important how we react under those circumstances. Abraham didn't do the right thing. He took God to rescue him. And then his son Isaac, a famine came in his day, and Isaac was going to do the same thing. But God intervened and stopped him in a place called Gerar. He never made it down to Egypt, but he also had to rescue a Rebekah, a Isaac's wife. Uh, from, again, uh, being defiled by those in that particular land. One of the most famous famines, of course, is that of, happened in the days of Joseph, when God had providentially elevated Joseph to be second in command under Pharaoh. And in that position, uh, we find where Joseph revealed to Pharaoh there was coming seven years of plenty, be followed by seven years of famine. And if it was not for the wise management of Joseph, who is a picture and type of the Lord Jesus Christ, They would have perished in that particular day. That famine just wasn't in the land of Egypt. It was also in the land of Canaan. And uh, that's how you read the story. and You find out how the rest of Joseph's family winds up down in the land of Egypt. But the point is he was appointed by Pharaoh when he revealed this to Pharaoh as being a man of great wisdom and knowledge to manage uh, the affairs of the kingdom so that with wise management after the seven years of plenty they can make it through the seven years of famine. When Ruth, when you start reading the book of Ruth, why, how does it open it opens up with a famine? There's a man by the name of Elimelech, and he's got a wife by the name of Naomi. And we find where Elimelech decides he's going to leave there and go from the land of Bethlehem, Judah, which means house of bread, by the way, into the land of Moab. And the land of Moab literally means that which is barren, that which is scarce and unfruitful. Now, how's that for a decision? That's where he goes. That's what happens when man doesn't depend upon the Lord. When man doesn't apply Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not that I don't understand him. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. God did not direct Abraham to go to Egypt. He didn't direct Isaac to go down to Gerar. He didn't direct uh, Elimelech to go to the land of Moab. But thank God he's a God of providence and power, and he intervened and delivered them under those circumstances and situations. And you're starting the book look of Ruth, it says Imelech was going to go down there just for a few days. He was down there for 10 years. It was 10 years before we ever got out of there. And Elimelech and their two sons all die in the land of Moab. So here's a famine. But we find that Elisha remains cool, calm, and collective, so to speak. He always does, so no matter what the situation was. And that's because Elisha depended upon the Lord. And Elisha. Is going to teach us about the importance of putting first things first. So even though there's a famine and there is some hunger that he's going to take care of, the first thing we read about here is how he's teaching them. Here as they give them before him, as the sons of the prophets, they're learning from the words of this great man, Elisha the prophet. Now, the Lord taught us this all the way through the word of God. You come to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, And the disciples have asked the Lord to teach them how to pray. And the Lord gives them this model prayer. A lot of times people call this the Lord's prayer. but It's not a prayer the Lord prayed. It's a prayer he uh, outlined, so to speak, as a model, as an example of his disciples. But let's notice how it starts. He says, when you pray, you pray in this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, I mentioned a couple times in my prayers this morning that our God is a great creator God. And don't ever forget that. He's our great creator God. But he's also the heavenly father of his children. And when I pray, I can pray to him as God, but also as my heavenly father. If I pray to my heavenly father, that means I believe that I'm his son here. So I pray to him as my heavenly father. He says, when you pray, you pray in this manner, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. His name is hallowed. His name is holy, in other words. That's why Psalms 11 111 verse 9 David says Holy and reverend is thy name The only time the word reverend is used in the word of God It has reference to God's name Here he says hallowed be thy name Thy kingdom come Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread Notice the order Before he prayed Give us this day our daily bread You're thinking about the kingdom Thy kingdom come Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven you got the kingdom in your mind first, spiritual things first. Then you say, give us this day our daily bread. And we notice this. He doesn't say, give us this year, give us this month, give us this week. That's that's, that's really what we would like, isn't it? Lord, I'd appreciate if you'd bless me to have a freezer full of food and the pantry's all uh, stocked up, you know, bulging up the seams. That's really what I would like. But he said, no, you don't pray that way. You pray, give us this day our daily bread. Has the Lord ever failed to do that for you? He hasn't me. Uh, You know, sometimes the pantry isn't as full as others, but it's always something on a daily basis. Give us this day our daily bread. First things first. He then concludes this chapter, chapter 6, by saying, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Now, above that, what does he say? He says, No man can serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other, or he'll hold one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon means wealth and riches. And he gives us this example. He says, consider the fowls of the air. He says, the fowls, they, they don't sow, and they don't reap, and they don't gather. God takes care of them. He says, take the lilies of the field. How they toil not and spin. not. He says, Solomon, all of his glory is not arrayed like one of these. Now Solomon is one of the most wealthy, wealthiest men in history. Maybe the wealthiest man in history, he could have anything that he wanted, anything money could buy in that day, he could have it. But he said, Solomon of all his glory was not arrayed like this little lily out here that God created. God clothed the lily. He said, God knoweth what you stand in need of before you ever ask. Take no thought for what you shall wear, what you shall eat. Now, the Lord is not telling us to be irresponsible here. Everybody ought to understand that. The Bible never teaches irresponsibility. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about trust. He's talking about dependence. We are dependent upon an independent God, putting our trust in the Lord. Then he comes on down. He says, take no thought for tomorrow, for sufficient for today is the evil thereof. As I've said before, there's two days that help ruin the present day. And that's yesterday and tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's hard to do the things today if we're thinking about what we didn't do yesterday or what we didn't do and shouldn't have done yesterday. That's history. That's gone. You might as well forget that. And then you got tomorrow. Well, tomorrow may not even come. The Lord may come back before we finish this morning. Hallelujah. That'd be great, wouldn't it? So <laughs> I don't want the Lord to come back until uh, all my family is raised and they're raised. You know, that would be endless, wouldn't it? If you took that approach, that would just be endless. Let me tell you, what awaits God's people in glory far exceeds anything you could possibly imagine here in this world. It far exceeds anything you could ever experience in this life here. I can assure you that. I don't know what it's all going to be, but somebody says, Brother Lord, what is heaven? Heaven is what this earth is not. Everything this earth is, you're not going to find it in glory. i can tell you that now. There's not going to be any trials and tribulations and heartaches and sorrows and sad farewells and all those kind of things there. We're going to be in, with the Lord in heaven, his family rejoicing and praising him eternally and in total perfection. But the Lord's kingdom first. The Lord taught this lesson very clearly in Luke chapter 12. Now, I mentioned this last Sunday. Here was a man, the Lord warns his disciples about being covetous. He says, There was a man, a rich man, and his fields brought forth in great abundance. And he began to think about what am I going to do because the barns I've currently got are not large enough to put all these things in. Now, when you count up all the words that he spoke, there are 66 words here. And the word God and Lord is not in any of them. He's thinking about himself. What shall I do? And he thinks, he said, I've got the solution. I'll just tear these barns down. I'll build bigger barns, larger barns. I'll have the uh, capacity to store all these things. Then i say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. Take thine ease for many years. And the Lord said, thou fool, thou soul shall be acquired this day. You're not going to have many years. You don't have many years. You're going to die today. And then who shall all these things be? And the Lord then taught the disciples this lesson. He says, take no thought uh, for your body he says, for life is more than meat and drink and clothing. Now, all that's necessary. All that's necessary. But the Lord also taught us in that uh, when he was on the mountain with, the, with Satan, he said, Man should not live by bread alone. Yes, he must live by bread, but not by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the word of God. First things first, spiritual things first, natural things second. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things shall be added to you. What a great promise of God's providence that he'll take care of us. Whatever we're facing, whatever the situation may be, he'll take care of us if we keep our priorities straight. If we seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, he says, these things shall be added unto you. What a wonderful way for the Lord to end that. We find Elisha following that principle. First things first. Yes, there's a famine in the land. But you know what the worst kind of famine anybody can ever experience is found in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. When the Lord said to the prophet Amos, He says, The day is coming when I will send a famine upon the land, not of meat and drink, but a famine of the Word of God. A famine of the Word of God. Hope and pray the Lord will be merciful and gracious to us and not allow that to happen in this present day in which we are living, that we can always have access to the true Word of God, to the scriptures, to to the doctrine of the Bible. Is so very, very essential for the spiritual health of God's people. Elisha here is putting first things first. He's teaching whatever he was teaching that day. I don't know what he was teaching, but he's teaching the sons of the prophets and the sons of the prophets at the feet of Elisha. Now, over here in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 2, Paul gives us a lesson of how these things take place. We believe in a father son ministry. Uh, father in, in the Lord, and a son in the Lord, ministry. Over here in 2 Timothy 2 and 2, well, it starts off in verse 1 but Paul telling Timothy to be strong in the Lord uh, and in his grace. He then says, the things that I have taught you, he says, remember the things that I have taught you that you might commit these things to other men, to faithful men, who shall teach others also. You see the, the chain, you see the succession here? Who taught Paul? Christ taught Paul. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy was teaching faithful men who should teach others also. And the word same, S-A-M-E, is involved in this. Commit those things, the same things unto them. Not new things, not additional things, but the same things unto them. Things I preach today, me been preaching for 50 years, are the things I heard growing up. The things that my father in ministry taught me, uh, you know, sharing his experiences and sharing the things, his insight, and this, that, and the other. It's nothing different. I'm preaching the same thing today. I started out preaching 50 years ago. Uh, The truth doesn't change. Isn't that great? The truth just doesn't change. If it's the truth today, it was the truth yesterday. It was the truth yesterday. It was the truth last week, last month, last year. And it'll be the truth tomorrow, next week, and next month, and next year. It is not going to change. First things first. And so Elisha is teaching the sons of the prophets here. But now after the lesson is over, he realizes there are some natural needs that need to be met. So he sends one of them out to get some things to make a vegetable stew. I'll just put it that way. You know, I love brunch stew. And I love vegetable soup. And my mother can make the best vegetable soup and the best Brunswick stew that's ever been made. (laughs) I love good vegetable soup and, again, good Brunswick stew, but I tell you, she can just make the best. But he's going to make a stew right here. And so the man goes out, and he comes back with what he found. Now notice how it's mentioned here. One went out to the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine. And gathered their wild gourds, his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. Now, he didn't know this was a wild vine. He didn't know this was wild gourds. What he went out to get, this looked like what he needed. You know, uh, I'm not an expert with mushrooms. But I know mushrooms are good if you got the good ones. But I also know there's mushrooms that can poison you. And you know, if you're going to go out and gather, and you better become an expert at it, you might gather the wrong kind. They look the same, have the very same appearance. So you gotta, you got to know what you're doing. When you start gathering things like this, you don't gather something that's going to be very detrimental to you. I'm sure this man, he found it pretty quickly. You know, just because something is in abundance, appears to be good, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that it is. Now, I'm sure his intentions were good, but the results were bad. (laughs) It reminds me of this young preacher one time who went to preach his first funeral. And he got lost getting to the cemetery. So he's riding down the road, he's trying to find the right cemetery, and he he finally sees a cemetery, and he sees some men out there, and they got shovels, and they're digging. He said, This is it. So he pulls in, and they're filling up the hole. He said, I'm late. (laughs) He's, but he says they hadn't left and so he goes over there and just says hold it men hold it brother and whatever and he, he gets his bible out and reads a few passages says a few words and thanks and goes away not knowing these men had just dug a septic tank was filling it in <laughs> he had good intentions <laughs> you know that's another lesson don't run late right the best way not to be late is to be early the best way to get ahead is never get behind And so this man had good intentions, but good intentions don't always have great results. I met a man by the name of Jonah one time, and God instructed him to go to Nineveh to preach to the Ninevites, and he didn't want to go. He knew how terrible the Ninevites were, and they were. If you ever study the Ninevites, you'll understand why Jonah maybe had the attitude that he did. They were a very barbaric people. They'd done things I wouldn't even mention here in a public setting. Jonah didn't want to go. So Jonah goes the wrong way. He goes the opposite direction. And he gets down to the seashore there, and there just happens to be a ship going to the very place he wants to go. And they got room for him. And he's got enough money to buy his ticket. Man, everything's falling in place, isn't it? (laughs) Everything's falling in place. It's going where I want to go. They got room for me. I got money to buy my ticket. So he gets on the ship, sets sail, he's so content, he just goes down to the bottom of the ship and just lays down and goes to sleep. Then God gets in the picture. And God sends a great storm, so great that eventually the people in that ship are going to throw Jonah over the ship. So just because things look good in the beginning don't mean you're going to have great results. But God prepared a great fish. Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, 40, it was a whale. And the whale swallows Jonah, keeps him for three days and three nights. Finally, Jonah just cries out in the belly of that whale after three days and three nights, salvation is of the Lord. And when he cried that out, the fish just spit him up on dry land. What a statement that was. Salvation is of the Lord. That's what the doctrine of the Bible teaches that salvation is of the Lord from first to last, from beginning to end. It's not what the Lord's done and you've done. This works. Oh, there's plenty for us to do as disciples of Jesus Christ. There's plenty for us to do in laboring in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, much ministering, many things that we need to be involved in. For sure, he's in His church to a vineyard, and a vineyard that's fruitful and prosperous is one that's got to be maintained properly oh much for us to do but when it comes to our home with the Lord in heaven it's the Lord and the Lord only now that's, that'll feed the souls of God's people you see that's why we read in Acts chapter 20 and verse 25 where Paul tells the elders of Ephesus he says feed the flock of God which is among you whom the Holy Ghost had made you the overseers now here's a flock it needs to be fed the Holy Ghost made them the overseers what in the world are they going to feed them you know, go to eat about anything, but not a sheep. <laughs> sheep need special care. Sheep need special foods. When the Lord gave that lesson to Peter after his resurrection, when the Lord came to where they were at and they'd fished all night and hadn't caught anything. The Lord had fish cooking on the coals on the seashore. The Lord had fish. He didn't have no problem. But you know what it said? They did. They, they hadn't caught anything all night. And the Lord said, well, cast your net on the right side. Yeah, is that right from wrong or right from left? <laughs> it was the correct side, right? Sometimes the word right and correct can be used synonymous. But sometimes it's just better say correct than it is right. So whatever side it was, if had cast your net on that side, well, then they caught a, a lot of fish. And Peter swam to shore When Peter came up there, the Lord asked Peter this question, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter said, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee? He said, feed my lambs. He said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. He said, well, feed my sheep. He didn't ask him the third time. Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And this grieved Peter. Peter had denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times just shortly before this. Now, the Lord's going to ask him three times to confess him and confess his love to him, and Peter does. But he grieved the apostle Peter. He said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Peter had it correct. The Lord knows all things. Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. He said, well, you feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. They just didn't feed lambs and sheep just anything. It had to be special food. And I'm telling you, these wild gores here represent anything and everything that's not sheep food. These are wild gourds. Now I'm sure the man was sincere. I'm sure he had good intentions when he gathered them brought them back and put them in there to make the stew. But when they tasted it, they knew something was wrong. Now who is it that's going to cry out there's death in the pot? Those who've been learning at the feet of Elisha. Those who've been growing in grace and knowledge of the truth. You see, as you have the five senses and from a from natural perspective that God has given us, like sight and smell and hearing, you know, taste and feel. Well, God gives us this in a spiritual sense as well. When you're born of the Spirit of God, you then have eyes to see. When you're born of the Spirit of God, you then have ears to hear. When you're born of the Spirit of God, you now can taste the heavenly gift. You can now taste the Word of God. When you're born of the Spirit of God, you have the strength now to handle things with your hands and to labor in the God's, God's wonderful kingdom. And you can just reach out and feel the Lord Jesus Christ and touch the Him of his garment in a spiritual sense. Aren't you delighted about that? You know, the Lord said in Matthew chapter 13, he said, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. And that was in contrast to the Jewish people in general. He says, their hearts are waxed gross and their ears are here and dull of hearing. Their eyes have been closed that they cannot see. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, if your heart has been stirred this morning, if you feel something on the inside that has encouraged you, whatever, that's because you've been born of God's Spirit, and that's the evidence of your sonship with Jesus Christ. That's your evidence. I I love, love to have evidence, don't you? I love to have assurance. And the more you grow in grace and knowledge of the truth, the more you put into these things, the more assurance you're going to have. Now, When you cried out, death is in the pot. Well, here's what I was going to say about that. sometimes, you know, uh, you may get something out of the refrigerator and you may not know for sure if it's still good or not. Well, if there's any question about it, just get rid of it, right? (laughs) But, you know, I take milk, for example. I'll look at it and now I smell it and then I taste it. If it passes all three, I'll still use it. (laughs) You know, they got all those uh, labels on there, best used if so-and-so. And And some of them say, do not use after so-and-so. There is a difference. So if it says best used, and it looks all right, smells all right, and tastes all right, that's fine with me. I'll do it for another day. Now, the Lord has given us the same senses. We don't have time to get into it this morning. From a spiritual perspective, God's given us eyes to be able to see some things, ears to hear some things, and to discern some things. To distinguish between truth and error. But in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 4, Paul says, Let God be true, and every man a liar. First John 4, 1 John 4:1, he says, But try the spirits to see whether they be of God or not, for many false prophets have come into the world. We're to try the spirits. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. That is, compare it to the word of God. Take God's word. And you use God's word to determine whether what you've heard, what you've seen, what you felt, is it true or is it not true? God's word will never let you down. God's word is always true. So what, is, what does Elisha say? He says, Bring me some meal and cast the meal into the pot. Now, if you've been reading Elisha, if you were, and you a couple of chapters earlier in 2 Kings chapter 2 you'll find where he comes to this city and the people of that city come to him and says the city is very pleasant but the water is no good and the land is barren. So you know what Elisha said? He said, get me a new cruise, put salt in the cruise. And he took that new cruise with the salt in it he went down there and he poured it out into the water and he now says, the Lord has said these waters are healed and now the land will be fruitful. He had an antidote, didn't he? When the children of Israel came out of Canaan's land, they were thirsty because there was no water. They went three days and they finally found water. The water was bitter. It's a place called Marah. God told Moses to cut a tree down over here and cast the tree into the water. When he did, the water became sweet. Right here, there's death in the pot. What was put in that pot was going to be very, very detrimental to them if they could eat it and continue to eat it. It would cause them great discomfort and perhaps even death. They cried out death in the pot. False doctrine will bring about spiritual indigestion and can cause irreparable harm, so to speak. How are you going to avoid that? You're going to avoid it by studying what God's Word says, rightly dividing the Word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul told Timothy, Study, show thyself approved unto God, a workman, need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. He says, for the words of Hymenaeus and Philetus, it says, uh, they have departed from the faith, and their words will eat like duck of canker, that which means gangrene. And I think we all understand what gangrene is, and you cause you to lose a finger, a hand, an arm, a leg, or whatever. He says, Why? Because they have declared that the resurrection is passed already. That's a wild gourd. That's false doctrine. The resurrection is passed already. They didn't deny that there had been a resurrection. They just said it's past already. I'm telling you there's been people resurrected, but the resurrection I'm looking forward to is still down the road in the future. I'm looking at a resurrection of the, saints of the, of the bodies of the saints of God that's going to take place when time shall be no more, when the Lord comes again. And uh, I, you know, that there, What they were proclaiming was going to be just like gangrene. It would cause a serious injury to the body for people that swallowed that stuff. So he says, bring the meal. Here's the antidote. Bring the meal. The meal was cast in. I think the meal is a type here, a picture of God's infallible word. We believe that the word of God is given by divine inspiration. We believe that the word of God, we have it today, by divine preservation. And all scripture indeed is given by inspiration of God and its profitable doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, right to the manner of God might be perfect, truly, furnished unto all good works, but it has to be studied and rightly divided. When it does, it'll harmonize. It will link together as a great chain of which there is no weak link. No weak link. That's why Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30 is referred to as the golden chain of salvation. I'll quote that in closing. And we know that all things work together for good. Them who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. How many times people take that verse and say, well, the Bible says all things work together for good, and they're trying to give, actually, false comfort to people because they don't follow the text out. Notice what the text says. All things work together for good to them who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. The reason they love the Lord is because they've been called according to the purpose of God. This text is not to those who do not love the Lord. It's a text for those that do love the Lord. And those who love the Lord, the things that going to follow is going to work together for their deliverance and their salvation. Moreover, whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And when He did predestinate, them He also called. And He called them, He also justified. When He justified them, He also glorified. You see the EDs on these words. That means completed action. For them whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed, E.D., to the image of his son. That's going to happen one day. And who did predestinate, them he also called. It's God who does the calling and regeneration, not man, not the preacher. It's God. And who he called, them he also justified. E. D. that takes place. That took place when Christ shed his precious blood on Calvary. When Jesus Christ hung suspended between heaven and earth as the Son of God. He represented God as the Son of Man. He represented man. His blood was shed. His offering was accepted. The sacrifice took place. And the salvation of God's children, my friends, was obtained and secured. That's salvation of the Lord. Then he says, those who are justified, they're going to be glorified. That's going to happen. And it's so sure that he writes in the past perfect perfect tense right here. They shall be glorified. I trust me. You don't look glorified out there this morning. But I know I don't either. You know why? Because we're not glorified. That's why. But we're going to be glorified one day because God's Word assures it. Oh, man, I'd love to, I'm about ready to try to preach right now. But anyway, God's Word assures it. So then he says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The meal, my friends, was the antidote to the wild gourds. Put the meal in the pot of wild gourds, then it was edible, and they ate it, and their hunger was taken care of and was sufficed.